From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya. Tonight we're talking about After Earth. It's a 2013 sci-fi film, so consider this your spoiler warning. It's a film by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get that right tonight at all. And stars Will Smith, his son Jaden Smith. And it was also written by M. Night and another guy, Gary Witter. And it's about a crash landing leaves our main character and his father stranded on a recovered Earth about a thousand years in the future from now. And they have to, uh, Katai, the son, has to go from one part of the spaceship to another part of the spaceship to get to the emergency, from, emergency beacon. He has to travel from childhood <laughs> to adulthood. Well, that's the symbolism, sorry. We'll get to, to that. We'll get to that. But anyway, it's an interesting little um, turn of events for our key characters. Yeah, so this is your spoiler warning. It sure is. If you haven't seen this movie yet, then turn back, go have a listen and a watch and come back and join us. Yeah, come back and listen into the podcast. We're going to tell you all about it. We are. So the first thing is, what was your number one takeaway, sorry, from After Earth? Uh, okay, so my number one takeaway is that even a thousand years into the future, they have only just started to discover mindful meditation. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. I thought, we, I thought we already know about this. Don't we do this in current society? Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not well done. And I think, I think Will Smith is, is a bit of a fan. Yeah, he is. Isn't I can't help but feeling that that, that element of this movie was... Uh, slice of his because per- he he came up with this story and the he idea did, yeah yeah uh, and I have a feeling it was a slice of his personal philosophy he he yeah. tossed in there and so it's nice nice to see that eventually we start to uh, get a bit of, bit of um, control over our thoughts yeah and I guess that idea of you know he says pretty deep into the film doesn't he like about fear that fear doesn't exist and I think that's very much will smith's personal yeah, ethos so that's what it seems like buddhism he, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well <laughs> let's call it a, a variety of buddhism i'm yeah. not going to claim to be a buddhist expert no here. either am i but i think that is very much where the will or the smith clan kind of exists don't they oh, yeah yeah for sure they're a big powerhouse of hollywood and uh, him and his wife and you know they they because they're big they were big producers on this i think they made this film as you said he got the story um, we also, I found out afterwards, he pretty much wanted M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> to be the director, like he approached him directly. I did notice in the credits that, you know, him and his wife were the producers. So I think they really were instrumental in getting this film off the ground, you know. So, yeah, I think he left his trademark a little bit more about what who Will Smith is inside this film in a way. Yeah, so the other thing I noticed uh, that I took away from this film is that it felt... A lot like a sort of a, almost like a young adult film, sci-fi, but with a slightly, 
uh, I guess, less young adulty feel to it. And I, yeah, I have a feeling that enough. maybe some of the criticism it has received is the fact that it didn't go full young adult. Yep. And it didn't go full, you know, adult or yeah. or, or maybe sort of Disney adult, yeah. I guess would be the, the term for it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, yeah. like Avatar, for example, went full what I would call Disney adult. Like it was kind of a a, a classic story, but the many of the themes in it were a bit more grown up, I yeah. suppose, than what might be. It was basically the story of Pocahontas, wasn't it? I think yeah. people have said, I haven't seen the story of Pocahontas, so I'm going to trust them and take them on their word. But this was the same sort of thing. And and I can see that there was uh, elements of the young adult thing where you know they had this uh, concept of ghosting, where there's these, these monsters that will track your fear. Yeah. So then people learn how to control their fear, and that was like this this thing, which has a lot of... Uh, a lot of flavors, I suppose, in those young adult movies, like your, let me see, your Hunger Games, where for some unknowable reason, Earth is, or at least Pan Am is divided into thirteen sectors, which are the controlled, you know, and rigidly sectors. And then you get the other ones like the the Giver, where everyone has their emotions taken off them except for one person. <laughs> and the was it a yeah. Divergent, where everyone is strictly within their cast, yes, except for the one girl who is sort of across all... You know, you see the theme here is that there's... Uh, in yeah. the young adult world, when you're a teenager or whatever, it tends to feel a bit like you are an outcast. Everyone mm. else has got everything sorted out, knows what they're doing, and you're the one who doesn't. So it had flavours of that here where yeah, Jaden was kind of... Uh, felt that his dad had everything sorted out and yeah. that to be a ranger would be the bee's knees. Yes. But he didn't quite have, he, he just didn't quite make it into the rangers. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he eventually would. Mm. He was sort of small. Yeah, he was young. So he had plenty I, of time to grow into it. I mean, but, in, in that scene where he does the jogging, you know, the, when he's introduced and he like overtakes all the other guys, all the other wannabe rangers, he does look a lot younger than them, you know, and it sort of felt a bit like, well, hang on, you just might need to grow into it. Maybe he's doing housing, yeah. <laughs> and he did have the pre- – I mean, basically that's what we learned very quickly. Is he's like – because his father is a superstar ranger, he's like trying to uh, exceed, isn't he? You know, yeah. maybe ahead of his natural curve. Yeah, so definitely. And I think that's something that we should point out. For whatever reason, this film has a bucket load of negative criticism. But again, you and I sort of went in cold. We don't really look at that. We go joy watching, looking for the good in any film. And this particular one, I I went in not really even realising who was in it, what was behind it. I, I did remember when this came out five or six years ago, it not being received well. I did not go and see it myself, not because of those reasons, but just because I, you know, I didn't get around to looking at it or anything. Uh, and it did surprise me hearing some of the some some of the criticism, but again, it wasn't something that I before watching it just now, going in and going, oh, okay, you know, why why is this being perceived in such a negative light, you know? Um, and then I and I will say, like going in and watching it like that was just such a was a real good pleasure, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I, I enjoyed it. I just enjoyed it for the fact that it was a good little sci-fi film. That's it, the, exactly the same thing as I I'd heard. Story and like you, I didn't see it when it came out. I have a feeling the reason we didn't see it five years ago, six years ago. How old is your oldest child? <laughs> yeah, Seventy-seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, so, mean, I mean, this is six years, isn't it? Twenty thirteen. Yeah, so, it's, so, so the both of us had yeah, little buddies, babies, and it's hard to do anything at all sensible when you have such things. The physical cinemas, I think, I've been to twice in the last six years. <laughs> it's not really counting as much, I don't think. No. 
bit hard. Yeah. Well, mind you, to put some numbers on here. So apparently had a budget of between 130 and 150 million. Yep. Let's go 140 million yep. in the middle. Go in the middle. Uh, it's you box, heard it here, folks. That was the budget. The box office was a 200. <laughs> I love how accurate it is. 243.8 million. Yeah. So not exactly a flop. No. Not an outrageous success compared no. to what some people might expect from a $140 million film. Compared yeah. to, uh, you want to talk about a, a $10 million film like I Am Mother or a $4 million film like Revolt or something. Yeah. But apparently, see, this is what I talked about last week that um, with Men in Black 3, you know, on the last episode, how they were, they, were, they were saying, oh, this is a bit of a flop. And very similar. It's sort of, it's doubled its money, but they're considering it a flop. I did read something after seeing this film about this part, and they talked about Will Smith in uh, films in particular. Hancock, I think, had a budget of $80 million and did make something like $650 million. And I think that was the expectation maybe with this film. But Hancock also got bad. Yes, yeah, but it had. A, but obviously... It, I found it very entertaining. Yeah, I did too. So it's a funny one like but i suppose that that's the thing they spend 130 mil and they might maybe they're expect maybe for it not to be a flop it needs to be like that like 500 mil well perhaps perhaps they're thinking uh, m night and will we've smith. got will smith 140 million dollars yeah this guy is a bank role yeah, star this and a science fiction so you know add one and one together and you should get 500 million you should I mean, the movie I was in with Will Smith didn't do that well, but I, it was in my in my dreams. So there you go. You got to expect it. Okay. So so then, Mark, <coughs> was it a hope, a warning, or experiment? Well, I fit, feel this does fit fit into hope, and I think it is a story of hope because if you take just really quickly. At the start of the film, humans have to evacuate Earth because we've destroyed it. We go to another planet. We we're manage. number one. <laughs> we're number one. We've, we've set up another planet where aliens want to kill us and stuff, but we seem to have survived a thousand years or whatever it is on this new planet. And then I, where I see a bit of hope is like the fact that when they do come back to Earth, Earth has restored itself. You know, it's not it's not livable for that version of human, and I'm not sure, I mean, maybe you might talk about this in the science fact. I don't know if that's because we've evolved and so we wouldn't really work so well on on Earth anymore or whether it's just that it wasn't quite ready for human consumption. I'm not too sure. But uh, I did like that idea. I felt like right now we're in an era where every day in the news they're kind of telling us that climate change is getting worse and worse, the predictions are getting worse, they're expecting things to speed up a bit quicker, and I think this film sort of touches on that, that at the beginning that obviously I, I really felt at the beginning it wasn't like we've had a mass extinction event or, or anything or we've gone to war. It's that we've destroyed Earth beyond yeah, repair. It's, it's like uh, it's gotten to a point where it's like, well, so we, we have, have to move to, on. The nice thing, as you say, with hope, and I agree with that, is that we had the means to leave Earth yeah. and so we left it completely. Yeah. Presuming to, to let it, Recover, recuperate. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how long they intended to do that, but it's still a well, a class one quarantine well, world. And I think that's the little bit on your point, on, on what you're saying there. When they do come and they're heading, you know, to crash land back on Earth, you know, they're not told this is Earth. We recognise it as Earth. They're not too sure. And it is like they've sent that warning, don't land on this planet, aren't they? Like this planet's not for humans. So maybe they have really, you know, the four founders, fathers, kind of decided we're not going to go back to Earth for 2,000 years or whatever. 
we have to make it out there somewhere else for a per- period of time. Then we will be allowed to come back and check on Earth. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Because yeah. as you said, everyone left Earth. It wasn't There was no human left on Earth. I also think it was a, a movie of hope in that the primary story arc was one of growth yep. and reconciliation. Yeah, between a father and a yeah, son. Yeah, so the... In, in in their own ways, they each sort of start from a, a position of being a bit incomplete. Yep. And by the end of it, they've they've each faced challenges and their fears. Yep. And come out the better for it, rather than being worse off or not changing. They they actually grew, so that's always nice. Yeah. So I think it's and I agree. And also, even father and son relationship is not very strong at the start of the film, whereas at the film they've. Due to both of their journeys, yeah. <laughs> they have also come together as they, a They've come to realise that they should work with mum. Yeah. Because she's a, she's a scientist. <laughs> you can tell them that. She's a scientist who, who is, stays on the, on the planet yeah. in a nice, safe, scientific environment. Yeah. And I think they've, they've both, after uh, their harrowing experiences, decided that that's, that's probably, where we should probably a decent spot. <laughs> mum, mum does have some good brains in her. She does, she does, which is cool. So, yeah, I, 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 there we go. We both think hope. So have you been up to anything, sorry, yourself in the uh, creative yeah. fields or the sci-fi fields? What I'm trying to record an audio book at the ah, moment. Ah, an audio book. Turns out it's, it's a bit of a skill in and of itself. I thought, you know, I can read, I can talk. I wrote the book. I know how it's supposed to sound. You know those things, they're good. It, it takes... <laughs> Words good together. It, it takes a long time to do it because you've got to get every sentence correct mm. and the, the, the correct tone. You know, I'm sure you've had experience when you're reading to the kids. You start reading and by the time you're halfway through the sentence, you realize the sentence actually has a slightly different tone. By the end of it, you go, oh, I should have, oh, now I started wrong. And that's how I often make up the ending of the sentence to match what I started. So you're not just doing a reading, you're doing a performance. Yeah, it's a performance. <laughs> you've, you've got to perform. And yeah. that's funny because it, the book that I'm doing an audiobook for is from an audio drama. So I've already done the voice acting, as it were, so-called voice acting for the audio drama, wrote it as a book, and now I'm trying to do it as a, an audio book. Yeah. And it's a, it's a different skill. Each of those three things are totally different skills. And whilst I've got more experience writing, I've now learnt a lot about audio drama production, and now I'm teaching myself how to read a story to people <laughs> and i know it's it's a you think well how could that be hard but so far i've gotten halfway through chapter one and it's uh chapter one should take me about 25 minutes half an hour to read and halfway through and it's that's a couple of hours and i think it's i mean i don't i want to put you under a bit more pressure but i have a audio recording of rick mail doing like children's fables oh. and i've also got some other children's fables again because we have little children and we've put them on in the car and the Rick Mail one is just fantabulous, you know. It's mm. just fantastic. It's awesome, you know. Because he's, he's, he's a very character yeah, voice. Yeah, and he puts on the little voices. I know one of them is Beauty and the Beast and he really does do a beast and a beauty, you know. Mm. So it's funny as an adult but it's also like he really, you know, he's a theatrical uh, performer so that comes across, yeah. you know. But I have listened to lots of audio books over the years, just, you know, adult ones and kid ones and stuff and... It is funny how the voice gets to you. But some of them are very much, you know, just read to you. Um, yeah. Not, not so much of a performance. You some, know? some of them. I, and I'm then others say, are. I've got a, I've got like the top 100 science fiction novels as okay. audio books. Yeah. So these are all, all the Hugo Award and Nebula Award winner type yeah, right. stuff. So, yeah. so that's ranging from 
you know, George Orwell's 1984 to oh, so good. Uh, Foundation by Asimov and and so on. Oh, geez, 1984, what yeah. a horror story that was. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. That's that is a really scary book. It's, it is. It's, it's so terrible. good. I love not. People talk about oh, this is like Big Brother, and yeah, no, you've not read the book. <laughs> you don't even know it anyway. But yeah, <laughs> yeah so and re- listen to those. Some of those, uh, you just get totally, you know, sucked in. You forget you're listening yeah, to a book. And you do. Some of them I I had to think about, and I realized that I never read them. Mm. I'd actually been listening to them. I thought I'd yeah, read right. the books. Altered Carbon, which is actually a TV series on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. That's uh, the audiobook of that. Mm. Except when I was watching the, t- the TV series, I, th- I kept thinking I'd read the book, <laughs> and I realized I haven't, I haven't, uh, and this may sound better. I actually haven't read a book uh, in years. I have listened to countless audiobooks and podcasts, but I haven't actually picked up a, a book. I don't have many books in the house. The nearest book to me is actually my own book, so. But that's that's pretty good. So anyway, that's what that's what I've been doing. I've been yeah. trying to do audiobook. I'm doing Exit Plan season three. That just started. Yep. Uh, that's a little bit more challenging than the first two. There's a lot more action scenes and things, which uh, they they're gonna kill me. A 14 minute episode took me four hours to put to put together, and that's yeah. after the time I'd spent cleaning up all the dialogue and choosing the right lines and doing the, the dialogue replacement and so on. So yeah, just whew. busy times. Yeah, for 14, 14 minutes, and most of that time was spent on a five-minute section. Yeah, where there was a a tussle with a a possessed person. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but you know, like the you know the minute and a half micro docker, I I just did. I mean, you're looking at about fifty to sixty hours of editing. Mm. You know I mean, for a minute and a half finished product. Well, the problem is you've got so you have a say long time. you have say an hour's worth of footage total. You're going to have to go, you'll have to watch that whole hour's footage at least once. Oh, yeah, that's right. But then once you've marked out bits that you like, you've you still need to go through go and back. pull them out and yeah, watch yeah. through them. Because yeah. it's the same with the audio editing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this five minute section of, of t- dialogue. Listen to it through. Do, 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 do. And there's been times where I've been doing some of the episodes where I've gone off script because I listen to it and I kind of go, oh, actually, that sounds better. That's sort of a bit wrong there. So I've actually chopped a bit and removed. A bit of one sentence and, and move someone else's response up earlier and sort of shifted around a bit uh, and I've had to re-record someone else's dialogue as my own mm. and then uh, just a little change here but yeah like it can take a long I time I can't yeah. imagine how long it takes to do a feature film I know mm. well I mean I say that with the editing I think a professional total top board editor is probably a lot faster than that yeah like, and, well, and I think yeah. sometimes with you know they do things on uh, and I had I have worked on a couple of films like you have things like a um, and sometimes AD this is a job for an AD but they write down which rush which take is the better one like the director my god take three was the best then they do take four take five they get you know take three was the best and so they make those notes and then an editor gets those notes and kind of just you know so it still takes a, a volume of time but they're they're sped up a little bit more I yeah think, I, in the I definitely sector, say. so do you know what would also help uh, I. A much stronger computer. Yeah. Because uh, I was doing some video editing, uh, these little seven-minute sort of um, videos, explainers, and, yeah, that that was taxing my machine. And I thought, you know, if I just had a nice big 4K monitor <laughs> so I get lots of screen real estate to see my full timeline and double or triple the amount of RAM and a, mm. all the rest of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, anyway. So, so all of our audience out there, if they want to donate to Surrey's 4K monitor... 
situation. So <laughs> 4K1 and fun. Go to shop.gravityundone.net. Right. Buy some Gravity Undone get, get, get merchandise. A get a copy of my book. Yep. Buy a coffee mug. Get yourself a T-shirt and send me a check of $1,000. <laughs> Why not? Uh, you've got um, accepted into some uh, Academy of Film well, course. It's a, a, yeah, so it's in a... It's the Australian Directors Guild. It's called a Directors Immersive, and it's part of the Cinefest in, in down south here in Western Australia Festival. Runs over about four or five days. The Directors thing runs over two days. I had to apply for it. I had to kind of show them some of my old work, you know, a CV, and then I had to, in the application, you have to have a project. So that script that is four pages away from being totally polished to the best of my ability, um, yeah, you had to put in a log line and then a paragraph synopsis of that script. And then also I think there was a question about what you want to get out of these directors kind of looking at your script. So, yeah, and there was a couple of other things in the application as well. But, yeah, so I put all that together over a weekend, just thought, eh, what the hell, I'll put it in. Um, I did apply for something like that last year and didn't get into it. So... I thought, yeah, well, you know, I'll put this in. Um, and, yeah, lo and behold, like four or five days after the submission, get a lovely little email saying, yeah, we've accepted you, you know, from the Australian Directors Guild. So, yeah, it's happening in a couple of weeks, which is really exciting. Day one is like a, uh, you know, it's talks and panel discussions from the directors and things like that, you know. I'm Any, not... Which directors are going to be there? Well, I think a bunch of Australian directors, yeah, because, again, the Directors Guild, I mean, the Directors Guild does have everyone from Gillian Armstrong, you know, Peter Weir, you know, the real big players, Bruce Beresford, you know, down to probably someone like Grant Spatura is probably a member now. And so it could be anyone. There's a couple of names, but they've also said, they've already said a couple of people that I don't recognise, but they've also said others will be announced, you know, or, or they'll be there on the day. Baz so I think Lerman? Maybe Baz Lerman. <laughs> Who knows? That'd be great. I think yeah. he's great. Yeah. But anyway, so that's day one. Day two is really exciting because then your script, you get to have, it's either 20 minutes with three directors or each director you get 20 minutes with. Again, the wording in the email is not 100% clear. Um, and I actually rang them yesterday just to kind of ask, well, what's the expectation on my end? Like, is it just a real informal chat? Should I be bringing copies of the script? Is it a PowerPoint presentation? <laughs> like, what is the process? And she said, well, look, everyone's going to be at different levels with their application. Some people, I think a little bit like I said with Dust and a couple of those short films being almost previews for longer films. Like mm. some people might have already done that. Like they might have made a short film that's a part of the feature and they could bring that. Um, and she said, and also some people might not have even written the script. They might just have a, a blurb, you know. So, yeah, there's like 10 of us that have been selected. So, yeah, it's really exciting. And, um, yeah, it would be great. I'm really looking forward to that day too, like sitting down and getting feedback and awesome. what they think about. I, again, you, they're not going to have time to read the whole script or anything, but just sort of, you know, talking to them through the idea during that time. And you want to hope you're insight. one of the first people. Yeah, probably. By well, the end <laughs> of the day, the they're going to be a little bit tired. They probably will be a bit tired. 10 people times 20 minutes. The, the, um, the first speed dating. <laughs> the, first, the first script you're going to get, the, the enthusiasm, they'll probably yeah. read more of it and go, wow, this is really exciting. They'll, they'll talk about By the, the end of it, they'll be asking, the, the same questions will be asked and the same yeah. things will be repeat themselves. Yeah, yeah. But I'm really... I suppose in a way like it's come out of the blue and like I said I was gonna I'm gonna enter this script into a competition and I've also got that other connection and it's just this has come out of the blue now and it just it feels like it could be a really amazing opportunity as well because 
if there's three directors that are real-time working Australian directors that have made films like Grant Spatura, just for example, and you're talking to them about your idea, and if they really like that, you, you just don't know what the possibility. They might go, oh, I would like to make this. Mm. You know what I mean? Or they might even turn around and say, look, this isn't for me, but this guy I know, he would like this. You know what I mean? Or, or they might even say, look, this is who you should approach yeah, here's, next. Here's, you know? here's a, another writer who's yeah. very good. Yeah, talk to him and work, get, yeah. get a, you know, do a bit of a co-creation on this to develop it to that next level. And I think that's the purpose of the day is to show you what's the next step. Yeah, and for me, that's amazing. Like, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Well, so, I look forward to hearing about what yeah, happens. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the other cool thing that Sydney Fest Festival—I've never been to it—but there's a whole bunch of screenings uh, over the whole week and weekend. I'm not going to go for that long, but a lot of those screenings are like I am other screening, like they're Q and As with directors of those films. Nice. So I'm not sure what like we're there for those two days. And I'm going to stay till the Friday and there's a couple other events going on. Yeah, so I might just try to sort of each night go to a film or if the directors I'm with all want to hang out and have a drink and have a chat, yeah, do that. <laughs> so it's exciting, yeah. That's pretty cool fun. Yes. And that script, as I said, it's just a, oh, it's probably one more session. It takes me about to go through this final check of it. I'm running at a rate of about eight pages per hour. So it's a pretty slow process. <laughs> I thought it was one page but, a minute. Was no, 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 no. I mean, in me checking the no, script, know. you know. So yeah, it is one page per minute on screen. So yeah, you do all that work, and that's all it is on screen. So yeah, uh, I'm slow going with it, I suppose, because it is just grabbing those moments on the train and you know at home and and yeah, all that. And there's also stuff. you know once you've done your tenth or fifteenth or twentieth run through of of a full script, you probably you'll probably get a, a good feeling <laughs> of, of what's going on. Yeah, so okay. it's exciting. So then. Let's talk about after what Earth. happens in this amazing movie, After Earth. Would you like me to start or did yes, you want you to go, start? Yes, go, you go. Go, sorry. I was just talking. Okay. Well, as we said at the very start, uh, we get a very quick introduction where we're told that Earth has been screwed up by yep. us for various reasons. Spaceships evacuating. Yeah, and the, we're told the Rangers saved everyone. I, yep. I'm not sure why the Rangers saved them, but anyway, they had, they had a whole yep. bunch of spaceships all jumped on board. They flew away to a new planet called Nova Prime, mm-hmm. which means new one. Okay. <laughs> there you go. So Nova Prime, and they said, oh, we found this Start wonderful, establishing it as wonderful a planet to yeah. live on, but uh, there were some aliens that didn't appreciate them going there. I get the feeling the aliens weren't native inhabitants. No. They were just in the neighborhood and were a bit... This is our bit, turf. Yeah, they're a bit annoyed. And so... And again, I don't think they were going for full extinction of human race. I think no. they were just doing a bit of pest control. Yeah. So the aliens, they dropped off these Ursa creatures. Ursa creatures, Which yeah. could smell our fear. Yeah. And so they're just these terrorist monsters, basically. Yeah. Which Huge creatures. Hunt people down and kill them as Rip them apart. best they can in the most yep. horrific way possible. Mm. Uh, which And because they can smell your fear, I mean, they just kind of annihilate any human underneath them, don't they? Yeah, because so they can't fir- hide from them. The first person they come across, they, they, they purposely do things like tear them apart yeah. and impale them on trees and, yeah. and things that will d- purposely make other humans yeah. scared so they can find them. So it's, it's quite frightening in that sense. But after a whole bunch of time, was it centuries? Yeah, yeah it's it. well, supposed to be. It's a millennia, I think, since yeah, they so left it's like Earth. a thousand years yeah, so a thousand after years, Earth. Yeah. yeah, and they his. This but, oh no! But during that, they 
have the first ranger the first ranger discovers how to, to the, control his fear yeah how to control his fear so he can't be he's basically invisible to these monsters yeah so this monster's ripping people apart and he just kind of casually walks up and slices and it and this ranger is will smith yeah cypher <laughs> But it must have been, it is in the film, it's Will Smith, but the idea is that there's been previous to him, isn't it? You know. Was it? Yeah. He wasn't the first. Wasn't he? No. I thought he was. Well, I didn't think so. How have they survived a thousand years with these hostiles? I thought it was kind of like a myth story, like this has mm. been happening for a long time. Wow. That was my impression. I'll, I'll go with that. If you're out there listening, tell us, correct us, let us know. Maybe Will Smith, if he comes across this podcast, could let us know. Well, I'm catching up with Will Smith in a couple of weeks' time oh. for coffee. Okay. Um, Dropping hope, names now. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't have to cancel again like he has, you know. And oh, when I say cancels, I've sent him text messages and Twitters <laughs> and he's just he doesn't respond. He doesn't respond. Bastard. <sighs> uh, sorry, Will, sure if you he heard that, you were actually really sweet. Yes, I know. Yeah. That, sorry said that, not me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, sent, so, so yes, so then we yeah centuries have passed. They discovered this this ghosting, uh, the special training where they learn to overcome their fear, such that the uh, Ursa can't see them, and the Rangers have thus been able to keep them in control. Yeah, they're still uh, a danger. Yep. But by the time Kitai, who is Jaden Smith, mm-hmm. is in Ranger training, it seems to be controlled enough that. They're not living in fear. They've no. got cities. They've got, yeah. Civilization is progressing nicely. They're not. They're not a um, civilization on the brink of destruction. So we 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 come across Kitai, the Kitai, young yeah. Jaden Smith, and we we catch him. He's doing a bit of training. He's trying to impress. Trying to impress his his dad, who is the supreme commander of the Rangers or something of some description. And yeah. he he's trying to pass the test, and he fails. Like the yeah, he the gets girl. he gets called into the the examiner's office. He says, you know. Your test scores are superb. In fact, they're the best we've seen in a very long time. And but we don't think you're ready to be a ranger. I'm not going to pass you. And then he he gives this beautiful monologue about wanting to. Yeah, his dad's coming home from mission, and he wants to be able to say that he's a ranger. And the dude looks at him and says, "Yeah, but you're not." So <laughs> off your trail. Well, the line actually, sorry, is say hi to your dad for me. So yeah, he oh, yeah. doesn't answer the question by directly. <laughs> he says a good line, which is. Because he's, he's pleading his case like, hey, dad's coming home. You know him, the superpower dude, Will Smith's coming home tonight. I want to impress him by being a ranger. And he goes, say hi to your dad for yeah. me. Basically meaning, well, no, you're not a ranger. <laughs> Too bad, buddy. <laughs> and so then Cypher, Will Smith, of course, head ranger. He's a fighter. He's a supreme soldier. He's one of these guys that doesn't have the fear. Um, but he has a chip on his shoulder, we learn pretty quickly, like some of these military dudes have. And he returns home and he's a bit... He's returning home to his lovely wife and son, but there's a dejected and yeah disappointed son, you know, because mm. he hasn't become a ranger. And, so, and he's a teenage boy. And old old cipher, he's he's looking quite he's stern. Conf- and, yeah, and he, he clearly doesn't know how to relate to his family very well. He kind of talks to him at the dinner table a bit like a colonel would talk to well, a soldier. He demands he be called sir. Yeah, which I've seen in a number of American TV shows and movies, and doesn't work out well, does it? <laughs> no, I, uh, it's quite peculiar. It is. Any Americans out there want to reach out to me? Does does that actually happen as frequently as it's seen on TV shows, and movies, or is it just sort of one of those dramatic effects that they, yeah, what do they call dramatic license they take in order to prove a point? Yeah, to establish a relationship. Uh, maybe it's somewhere in between those two. Mm. Well, I think it's very stereotypical in Amer- in in the military culture, isn't it? It's like the 
the father returns home. He's been a military man for a long time and you can't really deal with everyday people. You know, you're expecting people to, yeah, you do, sir, you eat your dinner, you, we move on to the next mission. You, you, know, know, like, you know your job you and you do it. You can't, like, yeah. be rebuking it because that's not military. Yeah. And his wife tells him, you know, quite sternly, we know we, we can see she's a smart woman, she's, like, designing a building or something, and uh, she actually does tell him what your son needs is a father. You know, so there's a good theme stated mm. there very quickly. You know, that, um, you know, don't, you, you, your son needs a father right now. He doesn't need a colonel, you know. And so Cypher returns serve with that by saying to his son, well, come on this mission, you know, yeah, as a way of. Okay, it's kind of a, the cult. He walks in a bit awkward and says, yes. yep, we're going on this mission, we'll leave tomorrow. Yeah. And he turns bag. around and sort of walks out. Walks out, yeah. And you, you can see the Kitai is kind of a bit scared by the, yeah. the prospect because now he's he's going to be on a mission. Mm. It's a pretty simple mission. They're yeah. basically escorting a, a captive Ursa to a training center where they use the Ursa to train people in this ghosting technique. Yeah. yeah. And but you can see he's is is a bit scared, but he's also excited. Excited, yeah. As, the fact as he he'll get be. to spend a bit of time with dad. Yeah. So you know, it makes a lot of sense as well. Like, okay, you need to spend time with your son, and and what what we also learn is this will be his last mission, Cipher's mm, last Cypher's mission, and then he's going to retire. So, and come to work with his, yeah. his, his wife, so which the, I think is code for pester her until she says, just go away, go run around the lake a few times. <laughs> that's right. So okay. you're right. They're taking this Ursa to the training facility. That's the mission. The the, the creature's on board. Um, during the mission, Qatar hops up, goes check out the creature, and there's a great you know scene of you know, with the other soldiers kind of saying, well, you can't get close to it, you know. <laughs> you know, Smelling you, your fear, you smell it's it? going to yeah. jump at you. And we have it. a couple of quick little flashbacks of him being younger and you don't learn in this particular scene, but it's his older sister kind of protecting him because there is an Ursula coming. We just see a couple of flashes of it. We don't see the whole scene unfold. So we know there's some sort of history with an Ursula and uh, Qatar. Uh, but as he gets closer to it, 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 it then bounces up and he freaks out, you know, and yeah. all the soldiers laugh. And, of course, Cypher then walks in, hey, what are you doing with my son sort of idea? But, in fact, he kind of comes into that scene and what, why he's come in is he's detected with his special power. Yeah, he's so attuned. I'm, he's so attuned to his really, emotions. It's not completely it's clear. It's not really explained of that, but he is just sort of... Yeah, he's, he's switched on, super turned duper. on, switched on. He's he into says, it. I notice there's a slight fluctuation in the yeah. graviton field. That's right. Something or other. Yeah. And you're sort of thinking, really? You Because yeah. he just sort of touches the hull of the ship. He does, and, and it yeah. vibrates or something for him. Uh, so anyway, he takes uh, guitar back and buckles him in and says, you know, but, you know, get ready. And he gets all these soldiers going as well, doesn't he? Like getting them prepared for some sort of emergency. Um, so they and they all follow that order really quickly. The soldiers. So again, it puts Cipher in that power play, and then he goes to the crew, and the, he's telling the you know the, the the pilot and that that there is trouble, and they don't believe him. Okay, no, uh, the asteroids are the sense, two thousand kilometers yeah, away. No problem. Which in space is incredibly close. Yeah, but anyway, how fast they're probably moving. All of a sudden, they're on top of them, aren't they? Yeah. And he suggests hyperdrive, I believe. Again, is it hyperdrive? I always get this wrong. You you always mm. correct me on this. Um, they call it travel. Travel. They said we've got to travel. Travel. But what what I consider probably hyperspace. Yeah, it was basically some sort of hyperspace. <laughs> they just call it and traveling. And they say, we can't do that because we're in the middle of the asteroids. He's like, do it. And they do it and they suddenly end up, and they get a bit hit, I think, as well. Yeah, a, a big one pops up and yeah, smacks them. Yeah, smacks them as they're just disappearing. 
and they then are, you know, in in space above Earth as we recognise it, mm. and they're sent a warning about don't land on this planet. It's a dangerous planet for humans, and there is some sort of device satellite there as well, sort of saying, you know, this is a Category One planet or whatever, very dangerous for humans. The pilot's like, you know, we shouldn't go there, but Will is like, no, land, land, land on it now. Which did confuse me a little bit because then they seemed to be okay, but then suddenly it was a real major crash land, wasn't it? Well, uh, this is one of those things because you see that on the space shuttle that the last space shuttle that blew up, for example. Yeah. It it took off and there's a little flare off one side. Yep. And then the just the whole thing Blows up, blew yeah. up. So. And, the, and evidently that was a a piece of heat proofing mm. insulation. Yep. Had come free. Right. And that just destroyed the entire space shuttle. Like one tile just came loose and that made a weak spot. Yep. Blew it up. So the pressure of gravity. I, 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 I suppose that this thing was re-entering the atmosphere. It had like, it was banged up in just enough that the, the forces of the, of the air coming in and the heat. Um, yeah, just yeah. ripped it apart. Yeah. Screwed it. And so there is a little moment, Cypher and Guitar, you know, he's kind of, telling him to sort of stress less and then poof, he's ripped away, isn't he, mm. Cypher? Um, and then there's blackout, fade out, and the crash uh, site is somewhere on Earth. It's been ripped in half, you know, and so Qatar is the only real survivor because he was the only one in a seatbelt and so he kind of goes around the spaceship. There's a really cool... That door, like, that membrane that door. door. And, yeah. I, I, and I want to talk about this a little bit later, but, I mean, it's, it, it is very organic, the, yeah. the spaceship. And I, that, that was something that is very subtle, actually, in this film. Mm. But then when at the end of the film I thought back, I'm like, oh, there was a real cool organic well, matter to the everything. Well, the way they, which they makes didn't a lot of drawers, sense to they me. had those sort of flaps. Yeah, it had There's flaps. Rubbery, it was very, yeah, Rubbery sort of flaps you pulled back and sort of reached into and pulled stuff out of. Yep. As a nice aesthetic, and I'll, yeah, there's a bit to discuss there. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so he kind of seals the spaceship, so it's you know airlocked again, and he goes looking for Cipher, um, and he finds Cipher. He's in a pretty bad way with his legs, um, mm. and we're not 100 percent sure, but he can't walk at that point in time. He sort of pulls him up to the uh, cockpit, and he's saying, "Well, there's a beacon," so he pulls out the beacon, and it's destroyed. It's broken. Uh, it's broken. It's shattered like your mobile phone when you drop it on the ground, uh, but it's done. You think it's they would dusted. have made these beacons a bit stronger, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> um, anyway, and then Cypher kind of brings up a cool sort of 3D imagery of the planet, of the Earth, and, and where the two parts of the spaceship. So the spaceship is broken in half, basically, a tail, and he says it's 1,100 uh, kilometres away, and we see that, you know, little dots. No, 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 those just 100 kilometres. That was 1,100. He's not going to get there in four days. Huh? Was it 100 then? It was 100. I think it was 100. 100. Okay. Because I feel like it was 1,100 and I thought, shit, that is a really long way away. Oh, yeah. yeah that... Okay. Well, anyway. Okay. Let's say, let's say it's somewhere in between. Sorry. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was a long distance. It was further, far enough that you're going to take several days to get yeah. there. You're not going to just and walk out. And the there. prediction is, well, the tail has an, he says the tail has another emergency beacon, which is fair enough. So it's in the other one. And he's, he says, well, I can't go. You must retrieve it. And there's a great line because he says, he says, you must retrieve it or we will die. Yeah, if you don't, we will both die. Yeah, we will both die. No pressure, son. No pressure. I know you're already trying to impress me, but I just thought I might 
let you know what the stakes really were. And the, you say stakes. The other thing in that scene, it's really clever because the stakes are really all laid out. Mm. And I felt that. I felt like there was a real shopping list of, of stakes for Qatar. The, the even, it, was, it was the distance. It was he'd have to go alone. Like he would not be yeah. with his father. He, it's a hostile planet, you know, because he doesn't know really what's on there. They don't, they don't 100% know what's he the deal. A, they were a, told they shouldn't be He failed his ranger. Ex- He'd failed his ranger. That's another thing. Exam. So he wasn't quite a ranger yet. The air is lethal, you know, so you have to have these little air pockets. And he had enough of them. He had six. They would last 24 hours each. So he has just enough air pod, pods. Where he also says that the planet at nighttime is freezing conditions. They mm. will freeze you to death. The Ursa... Should be dead, according yeah, to Cypher. You would expect it like you'd to be. expect to be dead, and the probability of it's alive is low, but it but it could be alive. Yeah. And of course, we we knew as an audience, yeah, right? as an audience, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be alive. So you know, at some point, it's gonna be out there in the. It'd in be the a disappointing jungle. move. He got there and he looked in the Ursa cage, and it was just dead. It was just dead, yeah. And then he just picks up the beacon and it's okay. Well, there you go. Um. So so you, there was a whole really great you know raising of the stakes. You know, a if you don't do this, we both die. You know, because there's no other way off this planet. You know, <laughs> B, it's going to be a really tough journey. You have to go on your own because I've got broken legs. Because, you know, you, you sort of almost think that if it was Cypher to do this, it'd be really easy. Yeah. It felt like that. It felt well, like it was Will the fact Smith. That he just touched the side it. of the ship and yeah. he knew that there was a, a meteor <laughs> storm coming. And he's a mature soldier. He gets it because, you know, very quickly the first thing that he gets in trouble with, isn't it, is those baboons. And it's like because he throws a rock at them, you know, like whereas Cypher wouldn't have done that. Well, Cypher said, don't. Don't throw the rock. Don't throw it. Yes. We also then, before he takes off, there's a flashback of the sister saving Guitar in a glass aquarium kind of thing and there is an Ursa that kind of kills her. So we, we, we get the memory that the stakes are raised that this Ursa is, you know, death. You know, like if you, if you come across this and unless you are Will Smith, you're and, probably going to fuck And we've up. got Katai uh, has got a personal history with yes. the Ursa. Yeah. So he he'll, be, that he'll be facing more than just something that kills people. Yeah. He's facing something that has a personal tragedy involved Fear in his... Yeah, and, like, and to me, it also felt like you kind of thought if the sister died... You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Will Smith, Cypher, has the ability to get past his fear. But then his sister, who was much older, she was a teenage girl or whatever, she died. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So she didn't have the power over the Ursa. So it's... It's sort of implying at this point that he doesn't either. You know, it's only really Cypher that maybe has that ability. Yeah. So again, it's like, yeah, if you go out there and you find this creature, you're in a lot of trouble. We go, he takes off and planet Earth is beautiful. Except it's, for that enormous spider that gets on his hand that yeah. nearly made me vomit. <laughs> Just. But it's, it's, see, again, this is me saying hope. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, this, what, this is what Earth would look like without humans. You know, maybe there's a little message there for us. Massive spider uh, on your yeah, hand. Anyway. Just, Katai is very cocky and he's going around touching trees and spiders, as you say, and uh, wandering well, through suppose, the planet and, and he's important jogging through. The point of that spider is he, you know, he freaked and as it afflicted off yeah. and he slipped down the rocks that he's climbing on. And his dad said, what, what's wrong? What's going on? I didn't see that. Mm. And he merely sort of says, oh, there's just some condensation. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. So that's right. It's right there. We can see that he will not admit any failure to his dad. Yeah. Like, and again, at this moment... The Certainly not fear. He's not going to say, a spider's on my hand, I was afraid of it. Because he's Cypher, the I'm not afraid person. Yeah. And you're telling him a spider touched you and you freaked out. And he's going, that's okay. So there's being afraid of Ursa. Okay, that's yeah. one thing. Yeah, yeah. 
But being a spider touched your hand and you've just about jumped off a cliff. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we're in a bit of trouble. But but again, like all of that, like the same with that listing of all the uh, the stakes, like. Scythe is very, you know, again, general, like a general in the military to a soldier. You know, you have to go out there and do this, otherwise we die. Like, it's not very far the sun, is it? There's, there was no emotion of, oh, like, this was risking my son's life. Like, mm. maybe we should think about something else. Maybe you're not ready for this. Maybe maybe I should try to attend to my leg first. Maybe we, you know, like, there wasn't any emotion from Cypher over the decision to send his son off into a hostile planet with all these problems he just did it. And then likewise with the son, Guitar, he's not telling his father everything because he doesn't want to let him down. So the, the relationship here is still very strained. We're getting repetition yeah, of that. It's, it's not a healthy you relationship. You can already see that it's not going to lead to success. No. Like, you're not going to have a successful, incredibly dangerous mission with this variety of yeah. interaction. So anyway, it goes out planet Earth. It's, it's, it's fun. It's beautiful but deadly. And he is enjoying it but it is also he's cocky and he's enjoying time he comes they get told there's like through his senses something is coming up on him and it's a baboon a nice big scary baboon and uh but he stands his ground and throws a rock at it which cypher is saying what are you doing don't do that and don't throw um, a rock at a baboon don't throw you don't realize and all of a sudden he's surrounded by baboons which makes a hell of a lot of sense as we know with monkeys and apes they're never alone and uh, of course they then like attack him so he goes running and running and running and running um, so we've got a big chase scene through the forest and he just escapes into the river and he runs across the ri- he swims through the river, runs across the river and he runs through the forest and Cypher's telling him again through his earpiece and his suit that you've got to stop, something's wrong and he says, you know, take a knee. You know, take a knee. Which I was really, it, it was an interesting way of doing it. I know it was like about calm yourself but... I think taking these quite a symbolic power play, isn't it? You well, know, like, I've seen it in other American shows. Yeah, it's. I think it's something that coaches say to their yeah. their players, or maybe it is a military thing maybe, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's as you, you can see, if there's any Americans listening to this, you can tell that there is actually a fair, as similar as Australian culture is to American culture, because yeah, we're from. Uh, basically yeah, English Western, backgrounds. Western capitalist. capitalist there yeah. are just things that we really don't understand, no, like no. calling your dad sir and taking a knee. But, but maybe if your father was military, same with my father, maybe that is maybe. more of a military culture. I don't know. But maybe it's also American. So there, there are a number of sort yeah. of things that, that maybe maybe we don't quite appreciate as well. Mm. So anyway, he's discovered that his, uh, his body suit is kind of cha- – his, his suit, and I really liked this. I'll this come back to it. But his cool. suit sort of changes – and Cypher says, yeah, your, your suit understands the environment and understands your body and something's wrong. So he says, take a knee, you've got to identify something is wrong. So he starts physically looking and there's this great big leech thing on his uh, on his left hand, flicks it off, but it's injected him with poison. The hand starts turning red and, and he starts puffing up and swelling up. <laughs> yeah, and Cypher says, get your medical leap. kit, you know, you've got to inject yourself etc and he's, he's like he very quickly his face is puffed up and he's like i can't see dad i can't see and again he's saying dad but dad is not responding like that he's very clinical um but he does guide him through it and he has to put two injections into his heart and he kind of does one and passes out uh cyphers tells him it's worked but you're a bit par- you're going to be paralyzed for a little bit so he mm. lies there in the forest floor I liked that. It was a nice juxtaposition between this sort of spaceman, alien, you know, human, 
uh, in a in this beautiful greenery, you know. And again, it's kind of like the danger of Earth versus this alien human, you know. And anyway, so then the he does Cipher tells him to wake up after a period of rest, and he kind of blinks his eyes, and he comes back to, him and he's basically saying. He needs to move on because the uh, cold is kicking in. And again, we sort of see all the shrubbery is kind of a nice visual effect there of all the shrubbery shrinking and closing, closing in on yeah. itself and shrink, you know, uh, you know, trying to get warm as it's meant. And uh, he does run for safety. Uh, at the same time, Cypher, uh, with his broken, busted up legs, he tries to drain a leg or something, do uh, a bit of a medical a operation. Arterial shunt, I yep. think the computer told him to do, which yep. fails. <laughs> Seemed to be just a, a little rubber tube from one end of the artery up to a, another, another above, yeah. the, above the break. So it, it fails for him. So again, he's getting kind of, um, you know, he's degenerating. Yeah, I, I think it worked, it worked enough that yeah. his immediate danger was not yeah. there. But yeah, he's, he's still slowly dying. Yeah. And he's not telling his son that either. No, he's not telling his son that. And then at the same time, his son, when he's protected from the cold and rain, he questions the situation back to Cypher. The, the mission a bit mm. and in part of that he also realizes that he's broken three of his air capsules which we know that each one lasts kind of 24 hours he now doesn't have enough to get to the tail and back yeah he has, so it's kind of like he might have enough just to get there but not enough to get back yeah, he has he has two left yeah so he kind of you know but he doesn't again tell his father that there's no. that scene where his heart rate pumps up and then he doesn't say it to him. So he gets to the waterfall. He gets to the waterfall where he admits that he doesn't have enough air anymore. And Cypher actually says to him, well, abort this mission because he, Cypher can see there's a, the, the computer detects yeah. the only way through is to jump, jump off, off the cliff. Of, the cliff. <laughs> and of course he doesn't, maybe doesn't want his son <laughs> to do that and die. So he tells him to come back. Which um, I, I found that funny actually, because I was like, yeah, you could abort the mission, come back. And I'm surprised Katai didn't turn back and say, you said if I don't go and get it, we both die. Mm. Like, there is no aborting. Yeah. Because I was thinking, what, what is your plan B? Okay, he yeah. comes back now, you have no air capsules, mm. no possibility to go get the, the beacon, and you both just die. So, yeah. wouldn't... But I'm guessing this was Cypher's dad coming through here. Yeah, a little Actually bit. thinking, I'll... Cross that bridge when I come to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's something that we can do back. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't want my son yeah. jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And if everyone else jump off a cliff, would you? <laughs> Katai, would you? That's right, that's right. Yes. But he does. He he stands his ground and says, no, we need to go forward. Yeah, I, there's I a, can a, great, make it. a great bit of acting there by yeah. Jaden. He, yes. He's very convincing and he, he has his little spat. Yep, on the top of a mountain. On you the know, top of a mountain. Very epic. And he jumps. He and he's got his suit enables him to sort of... Flat so it's down. like a wingsuit type yeah. deal, yeah. So he's flying down, but lo and behold, he's attacked by this massive eagle, I think. Yeah. Uh, to me, it looked like it. And he's sort of like dodging it, you know, through the rocks and mountains, but he can't escape it. And he wakes up in the eagle's nest. There's some little chicks tweeting around. But then at the same time, I wasn't sure, were they lions or... They looked like mountain lion type Mountain things. lions kind of thing. There, there's, a, there's a tribe of them attacking and trying to eat the baby chicks. And so he kind of kills one. I think he knocks one out the window. The eagle gets one out. And, and importantly, he saves a chick or he tries to, save, tries a to chick. save a chick. And by the time he's killed one of the mountain lions, the, the chicks that were there are dead. Yeah, the um, eagle. And so he kind of gets out of the nest. And when he gets to the bottom, the eagle, it's quite eerie, 
is sort of nudging the babies and of course they're all dead and shrieks and then flaps away and he kind of runs off. We also then through Cypher who has sent out these probes gets um, notification that the Ursula is probably present because mm. there's some bodies kind of stuck in a tree. Yeah, the first, which is, the first again, is the pile of the monkeys. Yeah. The baboons tribe is just a big pile of ripped Oh, that's right. Sorry, yeah, yeah. And it says Ursa presence, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And then later, later on, then it's like corpse skewered to a tree. Yeah. Earth's presence. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's definitely. That's Earth's. <laughs> this is a signature, isn't it? Yeah. But he doesn't tell him at that point. And I think actually his communication is cut off then, isn't it? In yeah. That scene, yeah fall he's, he's, he's got fall, no communication. Yeah. So he, he's lost his communication. He jumps on his raft. Or does he get on the raft before or after the eagle? Uh, after the eagle. So we have the Ursula bit and then Guitar, he's realising, he had, I think it's night time and he kind of in the cave, He he's kind of got one little bit of oxygen left. Um, he can't communicate with Cypher. And there's a couple of scenes where the eagle has been lurking and he kind of tells it mm. to go away, go away. You know, he screams at oh, it. This is the um, the, the rock paintings in the yeah, cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's sort of reconfiguring himself, but the danger is real. The eagle seems to be lurking. And I guess you feel like, oh, is it going to kill him because it feels like it killed his babies? Um, he's only got one oxygen left. And I think in the next scene he... He uh, uses that one up. He, you know, uses his very so last got, one. He has 24 hours. Yep. And then he goes down the river and he's kind of passing out, etc. And then he's walking and it, the cold kicks in one last time. And again, because he hasn't been in communicator with Cypher, he doesn't really 100% know where he's going. Mm. And the cold kicks in and it doesn't seem like he has anywhere to hide. Oh, yeah, because... And he passes he out. Didn't, he didn't know where the next hot spot He didn't know was. where the next hot spot, you know, the next safety yeah. zone sort of to get to. And he passes out in the cold. His face turns cold. And there's a really cool moment because then he's, like, dragged. And we don't know what he's dragged by. Mm. Um, and either does he. And he can't really sort of do anything about it because he's kind of passing out. Um, and then he wakes up in the morning of the next day and he's kind of in protection. And as he clambers out, he suddenly realises that the eagle was on top of him. Yeah. So the eagle kind of kept him warm overnight. I, I actually said, because I was watching this with my wife, and I said, I bet there's like a big giant trapdoor spider that's dragged him down. <laughs> he's passed out on the nest and it's dragged him down. He's going to wake up. Well, my first thought eggs. was... Is there actually a human? You know what I mean? Like, is there going to be like a tribal human here? You know, are they going to go down that realm of, is there a native? You know, because we didn't really, we saw, I, I know that when he passes out in the cold, we, you see a little black shape or something, like a really fo- foggy black shape. And then he's just dragged. And the way he was dragged, it felt like, you know, something was struggling to drag him a bit. So, yeah, to me, it wasn't like the Ursula. It felt like something was doing. So, yeah, it was a nice little touch, that of the eagle, I thought. Uh, and yeah, he's out of there and he comes across the tail of the spaceship, which leads him to more air capsules. There's a whole bunch there yeah, straight away. A, well, it's a cargo hole. You yeah. But which he's going to open up those weird rubbery flaps. Yeah, the flaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's air. So he's good again. He finds the beacon. Uh, there's a new weapon and he can c- communicate again with Cypher. So it's a big win here. Like he's suddenly back in, back in charge. Uh, he has all those little wins, no. and then he also discovers. No, he can't communicate with Cypher yet. No, 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 no. Um, Cypher's drones catch up and, and can watch. Oh, him, okay. But okay. he can't. He can't he talk. Can't to Can't actually talk to him. Sorry. Yeah, so okay. So no. Cypher gets to see what happens. Cypher gets to see him. Yeah, and then he he finds the Ursula pod, and it's all gooey and open. And as we predicted, 
There's no Ursula. There's none there. And yeah, so he he's looking around trying to use that beacon, beacon yeah. but it can't can't get through the atmosphere. Yeah. And so he looks across and there's this great huge volcano. <laughs> and that's why, yeah, like Savage's going, Oh, you gotta get the man, you gotta get like because he can't yeah. hear him. Yeah. Can only see him. Yeah. Um and yeah, and he, he does. does. He goes, yeah. Well, gonna go up that damn mountain. Yep. So he he climbs up that mountain and we know that the Earth is gonna be pretty close behind. Yeah. And he gets to a ledge and he tries it and it doesn't work. And then he hears something and he's like, oh, what? And he, he goes there and climbs up to the mouth of a cave and tries it sort of up there and it doesn't work. And then he goes, well, I better scamper and hide. So he scares down and hide. And then we get this you know, combat scene where the, the Ursa suddenly appears and yeah. there's a chase through the caves and this crashing of rock pieces and yeah. minor wounds on both yeah. parties. And then he climbs up a like a chimney does, type thing, yeah. a fissure. Yep. Uses his cunning skills to yep. kick the Ursa and uses his weapon to get up. He yeah. Climbs up there yeah. and it's a good little battle. There's, there's going to be a, a little fight there, and he, he's trying to turn the beacon on. Yeah, and you can see it's it's working ish. It hasn't actually sent the signal, but it's going connecting, connecting, connecting. Ursa jumps up, knocks it out of his hand. Of course, they have a struggle. Yep, and in that struggle, he gets quite badly hurt and yes. thrown on the ground. Yep. And that's where he, he sort of, he remembers his he has, his sister yeah. has a little message for him saying, you know, it's time for you to get out of the box, the cage. Cause, and we see him, he's in this little aquarium. Because the whole time up to them, I, I was saying to my wife, I was saying, why didn't she get in there with yeah, him? Like, yeah. why didn't they both just come? And the, the reason is because it was actually very small. Yeah. And he fit in there because he was just a little kid at the time. Yeah. It, maybe it was a little, little terrarium with a turtle or something. Yeah. But he was in there and it was perfectly clear so he could watch his sister get killed by an Ursa, which is nice. And then, yeah, then he he remembers what his dad said about fear, that fear wasn't real. Real, The danger is real, but fear is, you know, thoughts about something that might happen that hasn't happened yet. Yep. And uh, and, and this, as I said, this is one of these, um, I suppose, philosophies adapted from Buddhism where, where, you know, perception is is what is reality and and fear, as it says, fear is, is not... Real. It's, fear and anxiety are concerns about the future and the past yeah. when the only thing that is happening, the only time you have is now. Is now, of course. And so that's where he enters his Zen state. Zen, yeah. And the Ursa suddenly like claw, crawling up to him and he just walks straight over top of him and he realises, well, that's how it works. Yeah. So then he turns, stands up and the Ursa's like hunting for him but can't, of course, detect him and he... Kind of, you know, he turns on the weapon, dives on top of him. You know, it's a battle to the cliff, the edge of the cliff, and he stabs him. Yeah, it gets a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times in various ways, and, yep. and each time a bit more blood spurts yep. out, and he and he's dead. The Ursula yeah, is dead. Yeah, he stands victorious again at the edge of a cliff yep. on top of his fallen top foe, of a mountain, top of a volcano. Yeah. I was like, can I get much more heroic yeah, than, than that? that? Yeah, and he turns on the beacon, and boom. You know, yeah, very quickly help is arriving yeah. um, for both of them. Then we have a final scene where they're, you know, we see them sort of rescuing Cypher, you know, cutting through the spaceship and stuff like that. But then we have that final scene of a uh, guitar coming down and a, a corridor and there's like another soldier watching him kill the Ursula. And then he kind of comes across, there's all these people trying to help Cypher, his dad, and his cipher, which is a salute to earlier in the film where there was a wounded soldier that saluted Cypher. Oh, yeah. Cypher, then like, he wants to stand up and salute his son. 
And again, it's a nice little moment because he's doing that, but then the son just kind of like runs and wants to hug his dad, yeah. you know. And they do; they hug each other, and that's where that line is like, is, "Why don't we?" I, I don't want to be an arranger anymore. I want to work with mum. But with mum, and he's like, "Me too." This so, is yeah, me too, man. Yeah, and that's pretty much the end. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was very nice, uh, very nice sort of story. That it had that feeling of that Disney sort of feeling of the way it had that, that whole well-rounded perfectly paced story with the story the, the message the meaning at the yeah. ending is uh very, very entertaining i thought the whole the whole way through i said uh, as far as experience of watching it i watched it with my wife yep. on the saturday night yep. while the kids were at nana's yep so we we actually had the lounge room to ourselves at that mm, time nice. and we watched it and we were not disappointed the no. whole way through we found it um entertaining it was never a uh a challenging or terribly thought-provoking no but there was good action there there's good good uh, special effects and some exciting scenes uh i think Jaden put in excellent acting yeah i think so too it's, it was um quite convincing yeah and i, I was lucky because i got to watch it i watched it on my own uh everyone was out the kids were in bed and my wife went out and so i got to watch it on the big tv again and I was very much the same. Like, yeah, sure, it didn't make it didn't really make me think, but it definitely I was really entertained from start to finish. I really do think like when you get into the fun and games, like the baboon, the leech, you know, the air, the breaking of the, uh, you know, the jumping off of the cliff, the eagle, like all those scenes, it just went boom, 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 boom. You know, mm. like there was probably a solid thirty minutes there where basically everything is just getting worse for our main character and yeah. and you really went I went on that ride, you know, and I, it was interesting what's gonna happen next, what's gonna happen next, what's gonna happen next. So it did really feel the stakes were just constantly raising, you know, which is really good of a big Hollywood action. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And when I and, and then at the end, like it felt resolved, it felt like I'd been taken on enough of a journey. I felt entertained from this film. So I think that was really good. So what about the good old ladder then. I'm for myself. I am putting this in at number six. So I'm putting it after the beyond and before Tal, which was uh, our last episode there. So starting with the lobster, I am mother, other life, passengers, the beyond, and then afterlife comes in for me. Oh. There. I was, was going like, to put it underneath uh, revolts above the darkest dawn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Um, yeah, I, I I liked in I like for example Tau the artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah. You call me <laughs> well, a we sucker. We talked a lot about that. Listen back to that. Call me a sucker about for computers, but they <laughs> yeah, they have it. And likewise, the Beyond had this this lovely description of um, uh, wormholes. And yeah, yeah. Words. yeah. But yeah, it was it's was certainly a very good. Very good, very entertaining movie. I, I think my kids would love it too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So we don't need to, we've sort of really gone through the plot points, but what was maybe just one scene, sorry. One that, scene. One really good scene that stood out to you. Well, just the number one. Number uh, the one, number one, one is the moment. cliff scene. Okay. So yeah. he's standing at the very top of the waterfall. It's this massive cliff and it's thundering water everywhere. You can't see the bottom. Can't get it's, out. There's a big tree, isn't it's, there? It's like, like you, but yes, it's a tree trunk that's hanging out. So he's he's yeah. way out over here. And the symbolism there of him calling into space to his dad, because his dad's not physically there. So no. he's just he's just talking to no one. Mm. Yeah, so he's, it's almost like the caveman shouting at God. You know, it he's, he's sitting there yeah. yelling at, at God and how... Yeah, all I've ever done is, is tried to be, to be impressive, you know, and I couldn't save my sister. You know, I've, I'm going to... Do something. Something's got to change. 
Something's going to happen. Gotta, things are going to change. And then just to punctuate something's going to change, mm. he literally jumps off the cliff. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you cannot get more it's a real good symbolic. It's a literal yeah. and a metaphor at yeah. the same time. As he's and it gonna, works in the movies. It's epic, you know, jumping off a massive cliff. There's no way out. He could he could kind of surrender, couldn't he? Go back. And his dad was giving him that option. Yeah. So it was very, again, yeah, I agree. It was very symbolic that, you know, like to stick it. He wanted to stick it up to his dad and prove that he can be well, as good I, as him. I genuinely got that feeling of, also, of just going, just jump, do yeah. it, man, do it. <laughs> and in my head I was going, I'm not... I'm not sure what they intend for him to do. He's not wearing yeah. a parachute, so. No, no I didn't but, know either. But they're both but sort of saying suit. that he would jump. I went, okay, <laughs> well, just do it. I want to see what happens. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. And then, of course, the actual flight down is very exciting. You know, he's, he's plummeting down. And there's a, yep. an eagle. Even without the eagle, it would yeah. have been a, a spectacular sight. Yeah, jump. And there, but there's an eagle trying yeah. to catch him, and he's shooting through waterfalls and. Yeah, it was, it was just. Um, it, it had was a that, great scene. It had that sort of build, a good sort of build up. And then the satisfying payoff at the end where he jumps, but then he jumps and it's not easy. Mm. Yeah, so that's yeah. good. That's good, yeah. I think for me, and I did kind of just touch on it, I reckon just the number one is probably that whole freezing to death. As an audience, they're not sure not sure something appears blurry and then he's dragged into mm. this nest. Because um, you, know you know he's not going to die. No. But you don't know... But, How's he going to get out of it? Yeah, like it, what? What was it? Like you said, oh, maybe it's going to be a massive tarantula kind yeah. of thing, you know. Like, and I was, I was like, it's probably the first bit in the film where I really did think, oh, this could go somewhere a bit different, you know. And 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 um, but then it was a nice thing that it was the eagle, you know. So they'd set it up enough that you didn't know if the eagle. I mean, like any animal, it doesn't think as clearly maybe as a human. It's just predator. It might be just going to kill him, you know, in revenge for losing its baby chicks. But it's actually responded like a puppy dog and like a dog where it's like, oh, it's remembered that you helped me. I'm actually going to help you. And it helps. And and without it, he would have just died. And that would have been the end of the story, which would have been a bit deflating. So I think it was a nice kind of, you know, uh, heading towards that peak of the movie, heading towards the climax that, you know, there's nothing else really for him. He really will die. He needs a little saviour moment. And the eagle is that moment. It turns out he was dead all along. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Which is what we'd expect. Surprise! From, what a twist! But we don't get that in this film in that way. But again, if you talk about save the cat, something dies at that moment, isn't it? It's yeah. the it's it's the all is lost moment. And it does give him that bit of inspiration it to does. carry on because this animal has sacrificed itself so he could survive. Yeah. And so he's yeah, it's just that little bit of extra sort of well, I really do have to. Yeah. And as an audience, we think that too. It's like well, you can't. You can't give up and, now. And maybe just a little bit symbolic because everything else on Earth has sort of tried to kill him, you know. So, the, every, you know, the cold's killing him, the baboons are trying to kill him, the leech tried to kill him. So it's kind of a little bit like, you know, those lions, the mountain lions are trying to kill him. Like everything, and then hit the imported thing, the Ursula's going to try to kill him. So it's sort of like, oh, the, well, there is something nice on Earth, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there's a good deed here that's been returned to him. I'm going to read into that. So, what about the science? I'm interested. What are you What are you going to pick on with the science of science, Earth? Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of facets because it is a thousand years in the future. <laughs> As, yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. One of the things I really liked was the very distinct uh, design style and architecture. And I love it when sci-fi movies go to that extent. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Many of them just kind of have a generic, futurish look. Yeah, uh, but some of them go that extra extra step and have yeah. a very distinct style. And this one had it. Their 
architectural buildings that had these sail shapes and these, these shade cloth type structures about the place which looked at once uh, recognisable and modern but at the same time there's no place that is designed like that on earth so it was quite nice I, I really liked that and, and kind of de- creating a little ecosystem yeah, on that, its own that you know, design yeah. follows through all the rooms are in and even the spaceship had that same sort of feel to it with those uh, they didn't use white Yep, like it would have been tempting, and a lot of futuristic future movies have just white things. They do, don't they? White. There's this kind of this bone ivory kind of, like you said, slightly more organic sort of look to it, which I think was quite a nice touch. That it was, and um, even even Will Smith had a um, kind of like a tablet, but it was a was like a rubber tablet. Yeah, he rolled it up up. on his (laughs) leg. Yeah, after dealing with it, he rolled it up. Yeah. Although we're getting that Samsung's just about to release a. Foldable phone, mm. so it's a flip phone. Yep, but it's a it's a yeah, full I have screen seen touch a YouTube phone. About that, yeah. Ah, yep. jeez, oh, I don't know how that's going to work out. The first round of that has to be has been recorded. Yeah, they recorded so. the first one. So <laughs> it, I, didn't work. it didn't quite work right. Yeah, yeah. So. Anything else in science? Uh, yeah. Well, one thing that I really liked was his suit. Yep, and no, the way I it changed color and cool and thing. generally um, the tiles on that spaceship when he was he was there, it looked like the, the little tiling would become transparent at times yes. and, and do other things. And I was reading just recently there's some uh, research in, in metamaterial science. So metamaterials are generally composite materials that we make which have properties that generally don't occur in nature. Right. And we do it by uh, manipulating surface features uh, and, and I guess the composite structure mm-hmm. at a nano scale level so uh, there's, there's a couple examples of this one is work on an invisibility cloak mm-hmm. as we've heard so the idea is that if you Harry um, Potter yes pretty much you, you, <laughs> that's, that's what I keep talking about is it? Yeah. and that we, we can make a material which is basically transparent to infrared light which is pretty cool uh, and the way you do it of course is light travels in for, you know with yeah. particular wavelengths so if you make a material that has holes and it's size down you know significantly smaller than the wavelengths the light can actually sort of flow through flow and over through, it yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you can you can do that in a number of different ways and you can also then create uh, negative refractive index materials mm-hmm. uh, so for example fiber optic cables when you fire a fiber optic if you shoot light through glass it bends slightly yeah. yep. and if you create and and so that's normally a a positive a refractive index. Yeah, I was going to say it's a refraction, isn't it? I think. Yeah, so if you then stuff around with your, your structure of your glass, for example, you can actually then get it, instead of going, if you can imagine it goes forward and then it bends slightly to the bit, yeah. right, if you have it go forward and then it reflects, uh, you know, in a different, uh, reflects differently and then you put that in a tube of glass and you end up with what's called total internal refraction which means that the light passing through the glass continually reflects back inside the glass rather than what would normally happen is the light would just shoot out of the glass. Mm. Yeah, you can see through glass, can't you? Yeah. But uh, certain wavelengths of laser, in fact, will bounce around inside the glass right. because of uh, its glass structure. Uh, but then we've also got, as I said, the sort of invisibility thing. So a, a film that light will pass through Mm-hmm. and not whereas it normally wouldn't, or different certain wavelengths of light would pass through. And uh, so his suit, for example, changes colour. Yep. 
and it could well do that based on the light hitting it being um, causing the material to refract or reflect light differently so when it's uh, a lot of white light is hitting it it starts refracting white when the green was hitting it it started to go brown and various other bits but it does it does his suit does react to the scenario but doesn't it as well yeah yeah so it's probably got some smarts yeah. in there as well to yeah. to change but that's still Senses. still interesting the way it's it's changing the way that it is dealing with light and yeah. one way you could do that would be with uh you know actual color changing molecules blobs mm. uh, like a tv screen type of thing but the other way you could do it is if you had a little nanoscopic uh filaments little hairs on there and where they, how they stood up, how straight up they stood or laid down, Maybe, yeah, right. you'd end up with um, different colours. And mm. birds have this in their feathers. Mm. If you've seen birds and you have that iridescent colour where the light hits one way and it's green, another way it's blue, and then mm. when you get curves in the feather, you see both green, blue and yellow. Yeah. And that's because there's tiny little you know, nanoscopic hairs in there which refract light differently to what you'd expect so you don't get a, a normal reflection off there and it different shades of light therefore hit you like a, like like it's being split by a prism type of thing mm-hmm. so suit could be that but the thing that i was reading about today that was really exciting was this carbon nanotubes i'm not sure if you've ever heard of those things carbon atoms like to form one of the ways they form is into hexagonal um, rings and then you can uh, lay these flat in which case you end up with graphene, and you graphene we've talked about on the Beyond, the um, alien humans 2.0 were, were coated in this stuff, and it's it's an incredible material. Uh, if it c- turn, goes into like a crystalline structure, you get diamond. Yep. And if you get these these uh, hexagonal rings stacking one on top of the other, you get a tube. Let's bump my mic. You get a tube. And the really nice thing about these things, so they, these guys have made these nanotubes. It's a little thin film, so it, they're called nanotubes because they're at Tiny. You, you can't see them. Uh, but what they do, they act as a um, one-way uh, electro, uh, diode type of arrangement. Right. So photons heat in particular, which is just uh, infrared radiation of uh, photons just below the visible spectrum. Yep. So they hit any part of it and they heat these tubes up. Electrons can only move from one end of the tube to the other. So like I said, it's like a, like a diode. Electricity can only travel through one way. Mm. So they heat up. And when these things absorb, so something heats up because a photon hits it and the energy is absorbed by the atoms, which means the electrons become more excited. And so you get a bunch of heat hitting. The electrons become excited enough that they start moving. Mm -hmm. They sort of ratchet their way down. They can only move one direction. So if they get excited and move at all, they move further down. And so you get a bunch of heat hitting bunch of electrons get excited and they make their way down to the end of the tube and give, you know, when they get to the end, they cool down. Yeah, right. And they drop back in their excitement level and return back into the, the mass. Mm-hmm. But when an electron drops an excitement level, it does the reverse of when a photon hits it, it increases it. So it releases a photon. Yeah. But it releases a different wavelength of photon depending on the, the size and configuration of this nanotube film. So what they're going to, what you can do then is you basically put heat into this nanotube film and light comes out the other end one end of it which which is fantastic because you imagine our most efficient heat machines so gas turbines coal power plants convert about 50 percent 
at, at the very best, they can convert 50% of all the heat energy into workable, usable energy. So the other 50% of that heat is just lost. Yeah. But you could stick this stuff on there and now you're t- turning that heat into visible light and that means you can put solar cells on there. So they reckon they can get these solar cells and you got to take this with a grain of salt, of course, because they haven't actually done it. They've done the maths. Yeah. So, but what it does, it shows some things. So currently solar cells, let's call them about 20% efficient. So 20% of the sunlight that hits it turns into electricity. The rest of it is basically absorbed as heat. And in fact, as solar cells get hotter, they become less efficient. Mm. Oh, yeah. Don't get out. They get less efficient. Keep it simple, sorry. So you stick this film on there and you can direct the, you can direct which direction the electrons travel on, thus which end the light comes out of. So you can put the film on top so the light comes out pointing into the solar cells and they reckon their little maths has come up with an 80% efficiency. So 80% of the sunlight that hits there gets turned into energy. Wow. Which that's like quadruples. Yeah, it'd be a game changer, wouldn't it? Yeah, quadruples the effectiveness. So your one kilowatt solar array on your roof of your house would be able to become a four kilowatt. Wow. Just by painting, I say painting, but you know, putting, fil- putting this film on there. And, and then anything that produces waste heat, like I said, gas turbines, coal power plants, uh, hot days, would be able to produce additional visible light. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that really excited me. And so that's, that's a metamaterial because no, you don't get naturally forming materials that when they heat up, give off light like that. So, yeah, again, I mean, if his suit had something like that inbuilt, um, it could it could detect things, couldn't it? As an energy source, it could be running sensors, it could be doing all sorts. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be um It could be its amazing. own little, you know, energy um, department in a way. You know, say even his sleeve, the fact that he talked to Cypher and stuff could be all powered by his suit, you know, without, yeah, it, without it, an actual traditional it, battery. It would make, you know? um, yeah, he'd probably have some sort of battery there, but it would make that battery a... In the same way that you you have tiny um, rebreathers for yeah. scuba diving, yes, where because often you you breathe in air, yeah, and when you breathe out, you've only used up like you know one percent of it yep. or something, yeah. So you can actually rebreathe that air a few times, yes, to get all the oxygen out of it. And the same thing, you could have a little battery there, yeah, and the battery heats up when it produces stuff, so we could have you know recapture that heat as energy mm. and and so on. So that's what I was thinking of this, yeah, and. As you said, his um, the the walls of the spaceship seem yeah. to be able to go transparent at times. Yeah, yeah. And one of the most exciting things I thought—it's uh, not terribly exciting, really, I suppose—but uh, a use of sort of metamaterials and nanoscale electronics mm-hmm. would be programmable tattoos. This is something <laughs> I I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it on a science fiction movie or or in a book yet. But yeah, you've got e-ink, for example. Yeah, yeah. And you've actually got uh, printable circuits and things. Yeah. Like you can actually print it. So if, could you imagine a tattoo? You just get like a rectangle mm. and it's basically like a little LED screen. And so yeah. you could just, you have like a, some electrodes at one end and you, you tap it. You it touch it and you can change to whatever. So you could have a full face tribal tattoo if that's what you require. Um, when you go into work in the morning as a, turn it off. As a face model. <laughs> You turn it off? Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Very like, interesting. I always thought that would be pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. But no, they decided to have a colour-changing suit for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it did a little bit more than just colour-changing as well. Yeah. I, we never saw him go to the toilet and he didn't eat. <laughs> so, yeah. presumably it must have stored food and water and mm. 
quite sophisticated Maybe technology. Filtered water for him and yeah, yeah. and so on. Yeah. But I think that was a I think that was also a good thing with the sci-fi. We've we've touched on it, but the the sci-fi of this uh particular ship is and and their their technology was and we've we've touched on like the flaps and the even those little airpods are like the little circle rubbery things you know Mm. and with some sort of liquid in it it wasn't it wasn't a mask you know and he sucked it you know what i mean like that's quite interesting it was was quite organic and it it coated his lungs yeah coated the lungs it wasn't like it yeah, it reminded me of something else. I'm trying to remember from an old sci-fi thing. I'm sure I saw that with they do that and then they go underwater. And they can swim. They can breathe underwater or something. Yeah, I, I, why does that sound familiar? Yeah, maybe it's Harry Potter with a gillyweed. Oh, maybe it is. You know what it is? It is. That's where I'm seeing that. So, yeah, maybe there's a connection there. It is. That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking of. That's the reference point I'm thinking of. Similar, similar yeah. idea. But I like this idea, like as a as a uh, you know costume slash design opportunity in this film. You know that it was organic. The spaceship when it was intact, it also it was like a stingray. That's how yeah, I it, saw it. And it was interesting how it was also shot from underneath because it looked like it was a stingray. It was a it was a stingray spaceship in space. But the way it was shot, it kind of looked like a stingray in the ocean, I thought, you know. And again, that was a bit organic, you know. And you're right, like when we, when Cypher hopped up, he kind of touched, you know, he was, his sixth sense was tingling. His, his, <laughs> his spider sense was tingling. But, or his sixth sense is a better reference because of the director. But, you know, he touched it and you're right, those little tiles kind of shifted, you know. Mm. And, you know, even though it had some traditional technology of, of a seatbelt, still got seatbelts, you know, it was, it was organic. When it did crash land, I was a little bit confused at first, but it made more sense as the scene opened up and that door kept like going, and of course air like, was not functioning. It wasn't like it was breathing as well. It was, well. and then it's when he kicked him out, it sealed it. And I, I, I kind of went, oh yeah, right. So it was like a curtain, but it was very organic. Yeah, mm. and Obviously that was the seal of, of in the internal spaceship. So I thought that was a cool sort of set design feature in this film, that organicness yeah, of it. I said they, they seem to have got a good, uh, designer there that from the architecture of their alien yeah. world they and i'm gonna use the word eschewed they they eschewed the usual trappings of sci-fi hello so they they moved away from just having yeah i suppose sort of chrome and glass pods and you know this sort of yeah yeah the sort of generic yeah generic oh it's the future yes yeah, so everything's white and someone clean had and actually thought of a design yeah. that had like a, a consistent architecture yeah. and it was stylish yeah it wasn't you know just it wasn't utilitarian no. it wasn't military it was this beautiful sort of stylish uh, sail structure yep. almost a bit like the the sydney opera house in yeah sort of something quite unique and, and its and coloration was that sort of bony color bone mm. color with some blacks and things which yeah. sort of not pure white but no. yeah and when you take that everything in board you know like what they wore the spaceships the buildings You've suddenly got this little colony, don't you? Like mm. it's a, it's a, and it makes sense. You know, it's a thousand years from now, so thing, you know, trans fashion, humans will always go down that path. So it, it did seem like there was this little colony happening, you know. Yeah, it, it felt it felt uh, integrated rather yeah. than uh, it wasn't um, a second thought. It was some sort of primary. In fact, it sort of made me think maybe it would have been cool to have more happen yeah. in that, that world. Planet, and yeah. evidently it was planned to be the first of a series. Right. But yeah. uh, merely bringing in $240 million. Was not enough for the powers that be. I, I know. I, <laughs> I was going to think of that and think, I, I don't know. 
Yeah, anyway, we don't do the maths. We don't know what happens behind the scenes. Look, the acting, and I read an article from The New Yorker that kind of dissed Will Smith in this, but I think it's worth looking at this film from the point of view that, I mean, it's a good film. It's enjoyable. It's entertaining. But from Will Smith as an actor, he's he's not Will Smith. And no, I always, it's not I always, a Will Smith film, is no, it? No, no, but, it, you know, like we expect Will Smith. Like Will Smith is either the comedian in an action film. So he does that really well. That's mm. Will Smith. Um, but he's also done some really strong, serious acting as well, you know, um, yeah, like, like the, the Pursuit of Happiness and which the Bag was also of a Vance. Yeah, which is, again... Actually, which I love, love that film. That's really good. Yeah, and, and the Bag of Vance one, I think it is, you know, where he's, you know, he's like the... Golf player? Yeah, golf player or whatever. So Ghost he, or something? Yeah, <laughs> but it, again, it's a very serious role. It's not the Will Smith joke in. Most other films, mm. he's, he's always Will Smith, the guy we love, you know, that we've come to love. But the thing I felt, like, when you set up that polarisation of father and son, and he is a colonel, that's been on all these missions. The cold heartedness, like to me, it was really, it was well done. I liked it. Mm. And I liked him not being Will Smith for this role because. I actually think he didn't even quite look like Will Smith. No, he didn't either. There was something about his face that looked a bit off. So he was really pared back. And to me, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say the same thing and it's not sci-fi, but it's the same in the movie Argo, the, the Oscar winning film Argo, Ben Affleck is not Ben Affleck in that movie. Thank he goodness. really pairs himself right back mm. to this guy that is the hero but it is not a hero. And I, I, as soon as Will Smith started to get involved in this film, I could see a real acting connection to that because that's brilliant what he Ben Affleck did in that movie and I could see it here. Like this isn't the Will Smith we expect and he's really pulled himself back and I think it really suited the character. So I, I reckon kudos to him and the director, like it really pulled it back. You know, he wasn't going to be the star of this movie. It was his son that was mm. the hero and he was there to play, you know, a father role. And I think it, it really ticked that box. Like I think he did a good job. I, I think I also really wonder whether it was easier or harder mm. to do those scenes with we, his son yeah, or if it would have been easier or harder with some stranger. Yeah. Because how much... Yeah, I, I'd, I'd just we be curious, like trying yeah. to act against your father mm. as your father well, that as, you're having yeah. a dispute with. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, and yeah. I think they played that off, you know. If, yeah. they, if you imagine if they've got a good, healthy father-son relationship, um, yeah, like how do you kind of really play that off? Because it did come across that they weren't weren't really together, you know. Um, the narrative, very traditional Hollywood. I could see the Save the Cat beats. I think they were definitely all there. Camera well shot. It was very clinical. Um, we had all the wide shots when we needed them to get the setting right. You know, those animal action sequences, they were all there. We had lots of close-ups. The only thing I would say as someone that has seen M. Night Shyamalan's films previously is he's, he, it's, he's not present in this, I don't feel. You know, it, it could have been shot really by anyone in a way. Mm. I think the scene that I talked about with the eagle and his body being dragged is something that's a little bit more unique. But his other films, when you think about The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and The Village and Signs, that you know, all those those sort of one oh, I'm just trying to what's that other one that of his in his earlier career, like there was always that Hitchcocky feel to them. There's the thriller, there's the twist, there's something a bit unusual, there's a tone of eeriness to it mm. all. Um, and it's all paired back a bit, you know, it's all 
kind of more about the drama of the characters. It's a bit more conventional. Yeah, I said, but, but it didn't really feel like this film had his touch on it. And that, I don't, I don't yeah. know why that was the case. I mean, he, he is a very talented director and maybe he could let us know. You know, maybe he could, through our handles online, could we could reach out to yeah, him so and just if, see. Yeah, so if Will doesn't catch up with me next nah. week, maybe Mr. Shyamalan yeah. will. And, and look, in, and again, afterwards I read a New Yorker report and I read another article, um, Will Smith reflecting on the flop of this film and how it changed his life a little bit. But I think he, I think Will Smith was uh, really heavy in making this film from the day. It was his story. He hired people to be involved and he made it, you know. And so maybe the director didn't feel like he could be completely himself. I'm not too sure. But anyway, maybe yeah. we could get that cleared out and i love the suit i love the spaceships that was all something so let us know if you're listening what you thought about the technicalities of the film and also the science and also what you thought of this podcast yeah did we hit the right marks you can get a hold of us on uh at space brains pod on twitter or space brains podcast on instagram and facebook yep or at gravity undone gravity undone as well and uh, we'll see you next or oh, next week's Ooh, yes. the next adventure that we're going to go on. <laughs> yeah, next episode. is a classic. It's episode fifteen. Yes. So do the classic every it's fifth our episode. Third classic, and it is Predator. Predator. <laughs> Get to the chopper. Right. Do Can't it. Do one. it now. <laughs> so definitely go out check out Will Smith and Jaden Smith, father son. You know, bipolar relationship being played out in earth in a thousand years time it's a great little film really will take you on an entertaining venture we believe and go in with an open mind and i think you'll like it and yeah let us know what you think about it and um, tune in next time for predator yeah the original predator of course the with Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. from 1986 Ooh, okay. oh okay is that something on those lines <laughs> I don't actually know the Predator off the top of my head year-wise, uh, but it is around. It's the 80s. In the, in the 80s. It's, it's part of the, part of the I brilliant... I was a kid when I saw it and it scared the living... I'll, I'll tell you more about that next episode. It's part of the, uh, the, the brilliant train of, of sci-fi that yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger did. Yep, it's and that has led we, us to How he got elected to be governor of California, I'm sure of That's it. That's right. All right, well, thanks for that. Sorry. And thank you very much, Mark, and thank you, everyone else, for listening. Yeah, ciao. See ya. 